Good day to you, and welcome to the NPFCC Messages podcast. We're glad to have you back. Or if you're listening for the first time, thank you for checking us out. This week's podcast is a message from our series through the book of 1 Timothy. Throughout this series, we're going to examine just how critical the message of the gospel is for the church. And while this may seem obvious to some, the truth is it's easy to get distracted by the noise and the trends of this world and forget what's most important. So these messages aim to draw us towards keeping the gospel first in our lives and in the church. So be blessed as you listen to this word. We are in our series uh, through the book of First Timothy. And um, I want to thank you for just traveling with us through this. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. Um, then turn to First Timothy chapter 3. You can always find a Bible here. Um, they're over here uh, at, at the different places or in the lobby. You can grab a Bible. If you need one, please take it home. We just want people in God's Word. So we hope you, you'll dig in and dive in um, with us. And if you're online, um, we're grateful that you're here as well. Um, and so... Um, you know, everything, everything rises and falls on leadership, whether it be a country, whether it be a company, whether it be a team or a church or a home. Uh, there, when there's no one leading, there will be confusion and chaos. There will be competition. And don't you see that in the world? We, we see that happen, playing itself out, and, and, and when leadership goes awry, man, everything quickly seems like it falls apart. And it seems that it was this, it was this case in the church in Ephesus. Remember that in 1 Timothy, um, we, we were introduced to that a couple weeks ago in chapter 1, where we have a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor whose name was Timothy. And, and to help Timothy, as he was sent to kind of straighten out the church in Ephesus, where there had been false teaching creeping in, and it looked like the, the behaviors in this church were, were not helping, but instead were damaging the reputation of the church in the community and ruining in its witness. And so we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. And the key verse in this chapter really is one of the key verses in the whole book. And it's found in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. And, and Paul says this, he says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, now here's the key part, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And I truly believe that, that the church is the church of the living God. It's not ours, it's his. And it is the pillar and foundation for the truth, that, that we hold to God's word and we proclaim it and we bring this hope of the truth of God's word to light and to life in our world. That, that we not only read it and understand it, but we hopefully live it out and give the world a picture of what it looks like when our true leadership is our heavenly father. And so part of his instruction to help the church get back on track and to stay on mission, Paul shares with Timothy uh, the plan for leadership in the church. And so we're going to read through this chapter like we've been doing because uh, there's nothing more important than just the words of God themselves. So I'm going to invite you to just stand with me as I read um, through chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. It's 16 um, short verses, but um, just uh, you can read along with me. Here's a trustworthy saying 
Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his family well and see to it that his children obey him and that he must not, so, excuse me, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, nor, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fail to disgrace, or fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, Deacons are to be trustworthy, are worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. Uh, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Father, allow your Holy Spirit to teach us, to lead us, to guide us. Father, we do believe that your word is the pillar of truth. And Father, that you have given your church the task to take this, this message, um, Father, and not just to know it, but to live it in our world so that people can come to find and follow Jesus. We love you, Lord, and praise you in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. So go ahead and have a seat. Um, and we're going to just dive right in. I'm going to talk really fast today. Um, here, uh, he starts out in verse one. Here is a trustworthy saying, um, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. The phrase, this is a trustworthy saying, was used one other time in the book, in, in this book. Um, and it was in 1 Timothy 1 5, and it was sharing about the core truth of the gospel, which in 1 Timothy 5, 1 5, 15 says this Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ came into the world to save sinners. In a nutshell, that is the gospel. That is the good news that all of us who have sinned, and we all said, yep, that's me, right? Um, that God came to save sinners. It doesn't matter who you are. And Paul in the first chapter shares how bad of a sinner he was and how Christ redeemed him. So um, many um, believe that this kind of sec this is a section heading for this um, in the book, and it's showing where the very important parts of the book lie. And so in 1 Timothy 3.1, he says again, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. We'll see a few different leadership roles here in the church, and the first is this role of overseer. Uh, the word for overseer, episkopos, uh, can be translated 
overseer, bishop, elder, or pastor. Uh, sometimes you'll, you'll go through the New Testament, you might see one or the other. They really are, are all pretty much the same word, okay? And they can be translated again, overseer. Overseer is probably one of the better ones because the word literally means one who oversees something. Um, it can be bishop, and certain churches have taken that and used that to title their role. Some churches have used the role of elder or pastor, and in some places you see pastor elder. And so it's, it's one word that's used there in the Greek language. And the first mention of elders actually comes, um, elders in terms of elders in the church comes in Acts chapter 11. So after the apostles had scattered, remember the church started on the Pentecost in Jerusalem. After a while, um, and after persecution, the church scatters into the world. And as they did that, as they went along, they planted churches planted churches all over the place. Um, that was it, our, The church became a church planting movement, and they planted them all over the place. And as they would go about, they would, they would um, in el- all those areas, they would assign elders. They would say, hey, somebody you know, needs to stay here and keep watch over or be overseer of this place. And um, so the, the, I, I really do appreciate, I mean, the, our elders, our overseers here in the church. They are all incredibly humble um, and, and serve the church, and, and really the main task is oversight. So I want to take a look at like two things for both elders and deacons, as we'll get to later. Um, and, and the first is who they are, and then what do they do? If you'll notice in the list of qualifications as we read through those, they're almost all about character. They're almost all character qualities, right? Um, th- there isn't a lot said in terms of elders, in terms of like gifting or anything like that. Um, the, it only mentions two important really activities, which are able to teach and managing their household well. The rest are character traits. And so character of these men is what seems to be most important, okay? And so let's take a look. It says in verse 2, it says, now the overseers to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Um, above reproach, I mean, it simply means that there, there can't be a criticism leveled against them. Um, that one seems pretty simple, that they live above being able to be blamed for something. The, the next one there is faithful to his wife. This verse, it literally is translated that he should be a one-woman man. That's, that's how the translation should, should really read. It does not mean that an elder has to be married. If, if that was true, then Paul, or quite frankly, Jesus, couldn't have been an elder in the church, right? Um, but if Paul shows up, he could certainly be an elder. Um, it speaks to his faithfulness in the covenant of marriage and that he is free from lust. And think about this, in, in the uh, city of Ephesus, I mean, sexual temptation was everywhere. And as we look at it, even here in America, how, I mean, how many pastors, leaders have we seen who have shipwrecked their lives, their marriages, their families, their ministries by falling to sexual temptation? So this is something that is super, super important um, for them. Um, and then the question comes up sometimes, well, what, what about men who have been divorced? And I would say we would want to know a little bit more about that, right? Um, were, were they divorced before or after they met Jesus? What were the circumstances surrounding that? We have had elders here in the church before who had been divorced 
um, prior to their coming to Jesus. And um, obviously, we look at that and say, hey, when, when someone comes to Jesus, he makes everything new, right? And, and he gives us a new life. And so, again, we would want to know more, I mean, you know, because it's really all about these character qualities um, and what led to that. You know, many will point to this verse, um, and some will just point to this as the, as the reason that the role of elder is reserved for men, because it says, you know, he should be a one-woman man. And um, I think we don't want to pull this one verse out as a standalone. It's always dangerous to do that in any particular place. Um, I think this verse, you know, is, is part of a larger body of teaching, I believe, reserves the role of elder for men in this passage in this particular passage, all of the language around the role is masculine. But in this passage, I believe Paul's main point, the thing that Paul's really trying to get across is that the elders who are married, they need to be faithful. It's a character trait. That's what Paul is pointing out here, right? He's saying, hey, we want elders who are people who are faithful, that, that trust in and live in that covenant and um, people who can be counted on. Uh, temperate, it goes on and says they're not given to extremes in their behavior. They're level-headed, right? Um, we don't pe- need people who, who, you know, go off to one extreme or another. Um, that they're self-controlled. I don't really think I need to say a whole lot about that. They're people who know how to control themselves, right? And we all know people who can't, right? And so we want people who could control themselves. We want people who, are, it says, respectable. Interesting that it's the same word there that's used in the uh, chapter we looked at last week in First Timothy 2, where it says women should dress modestly. The word modesty is the same word as respectable here, right? That they should be modest, that they sh- and, and that really could, could be translated as it is here, respectable. Um, hospitable, they're welcoming to others. They're, they're not people who, um, you, you know, they're people who welcome people in and who love and embrace people. Um, they're able to teach. Now, you'll notice um, in just a minute, this is the main, this is one of the main differences between the requirements for elders and deacons, which we'll get to in just a minute. And it's not that they have to teach, it's that they are able to teach. And that's what the text um, teaches us. In the next verse, in verse 3, it says, they're not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Um, not given to drunkenness. I, I actually thought this one was really good because as I dove into the meaning of the word, um, the word literally means does not sit long with the cup. I thought that was interesting, right? Does not sit long with the cup, you know? And I don't know, maybe it's the movies that we watch or whatever, you know? I just, I picture a guy sitting in a bar just holding onto his cup, right? Just keep, just keep, you know, right? That's kind of what I pictured in my head. Um, but that was the literal translation, does not sit long with the cup. And, and they, um, so again, it's, it's, it's not that they can't drink, it's that they must abstain from drunkenness. And so in other words, they can control themselves, right? Um, again, I think these are great character traits. Um, not violent, but gentle, and not quarrelsome. I mean, not somebody who's out looking for a fight. Not somebody who's out, you know. And in our world today, man, I just look at this. Like, it's somebody who's just not out looking for an argument or a fight. It's somebody who, you know, just is out there loving on people, but is just not looking for reasons to disagree or reasons to fight. I think it's, that, that is a huge character trait. They're not a lover of money. Um, money is not the master. It's not mastering them 
or it's not their first concern in decision-making. And I just got to say, I, you know, as, I, as I'm reading things and everything, and I'm just almost mentally preparing myself for 2024, you know, in an election year, and people are saying, like, so, so for so many people, the, the primary reason that they vote the way they vote has everything to do with economics, right, with, with, with money, with how it's going to impact them. And I would just say that's something we, we have to keep in check that, you know what, it, I mean, is money an important thing? Yeah, it's a gift from God to us, but we need to steward it well. And we need to make sure, though, that it is not the primary reason. It is not the driver for how we make our decisions, right? It, it's important. It's important to learn to manage it, but it's not the primary reason. And for elders, I think it's the same thing. And I love that our elders will look at things sometimes and go like, yeah, we have to steward well. We have to steward things well. But you know what? We can't, we can't look at things and go, well, we just don't have this. We just don't have that. We, we need to move forward in faith sometimes saying, hey, God is going to be the provider. Um, and sometimes we just don't let finances like be the thing that shuts us down um, and, or makes all of our decisions for us. We need to make sure that we are not mastered by money. In, in verses three and four, it goes into the family. It says he must manage his own family well and see to it that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? You know, in Paul's actual letter to the Ephesian church, um, he tells fathers, bring up your children in the instruction of the Lord. And this is key. This is a huge thing, okay? He's writing to Timothy, who's pastoring this church in Ephesus. When he writes his letter to Ephesus, he says, hey, he says, fathers, bring your children up in the instruction of the Lord. And I would just say, I just want to put lots of exclamation points on that and say, fathers, fathers, are you taking that role seriously? Are, are, are you truly doing that? I, I mean, are you bringing your children up to really know the Lord? I mean, so much of life gets so busy, so hectic. Our calendars get crazy and everything else. Are, are, are you taking the time necessary? And not just leaving it up to, you know, uh, Crystal and the team in our children's ministry or David and the team in our student ministries, but are you really, really taking the initiative and teaching your children the instruction of the Lord. That is so huge. And elders should be an example of that. So then in verse six, it says he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. You remember the devil, um, that word literally means he's not a novice or not one who is newly planted. Kind of interesting, that verse was used of when you first plant a a plant in the ground, right? That it doesn't have its roots yet. And so he says, hey, like, uh, make sure that that's not the case because they'll become conceited or it can look at proud and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Remember what, what got the devil in trouble, right? He wanted to ascend to the throne, right? He wanted to kick God off the throne. He wanted to be in charge, right? And so it's saying, hey, you know what? It don't, don't have someone who doesn't have their roots sunk deep yet because they might think of their position or might think, hey, I'm, I'm lording it over people, right? And we know that in scripture, that is not what leadership does. That leadership comes up and it is a, it is not a top down thing. It's a bottom up thing. And the, and, and the servant is the greatest in the kingdom of God. So, um, so then in verse seven, it says he must also have a good reputation with outsiders. 
so they will not fall into disgrace or into the devil's trap. So we, somebody who has, who's well-respected in the community, people outside, it's not just people in the church that are, you know, oh yeah, it's great to, you know, but people who outside the community have respect for this person. So that, that's a little bit about who elders are, and you'll notice that almost all of these are character traits. Now, what do elders do? Um, in 1 Timothy 5, 17, we'll get to that actually in a couple weeks, but the one verse that stands out says, um, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are well, are, are, uh, sorry, well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So we see here the elders are to direct affairs of the church. They're here to preach and to teach. And, and so those are two main things that elders do. In Acts 20, um, 28, it says, it's, uh, says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that word for elder or overseer again. Be shepherds of the church of God, which God, which he bought with his own blood. So there's supposed to be people who are watching over, guarding, shepherding, right, and protecting the church. They're supposed to make sure the church holds to sound doctrine. And, and now one thing to remember in this, which is really, really important, these guys don't have Bibles yet right, in this moment. They, they, they don't, like, not everybody has a Bible. And one of the main jobs of the elders is like, hey, like making sure that they're listening to what's happening and they're, they're protecting the church from any kind of outside, you know, um, crazy teaching and things like that. And let me tell you, man, in our world today, there's some crazy teaching out there in terms of spiritual teaching. I mean, you know, all you got to do is get on YouTube for a while, man, and there's just crazy after crazy after crazy, right? And we need to make sure that we're discerning. That's one of the key roles um, of elders is to make sure we hold the sound doctrine. First Peter 5, uh, 1 and 2 says, the elder, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, this is Peter speaking, and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Again, that sense of overseeing, that sense of watching, protecting the flock. James 5.14 says, is any of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And I gotta tell you, our, our church does that. Many of you um, have called the elders before. I mean, all of us have these cool little things of oil that we like, I know most of our elders carry these around or they're not far from them. Um, and again, we, we, we tell people, hey, this isn't like, there's nothing magical about that oil. There's nothing special about us. It's just that we're doing what the Bible says. And that's what's important, right? And so when they do that, and so that's one of the roles. Um, our elders do that. They do that actually probably more than you think. And they, they really do want to be with people, praying with people, guarding against, you know, um, and, and helping people who are sick. So the key roles of elders are, I, I just put it under guarding and guiding. They're guarding against false teaching in the church, and they're teaching the truth, caring for the community and the family of God. Now, what's very interesting to me is that as you go through the New Testament, even though it shares all these things, we don't actually have any names, in the whole New Testament, there's, there's no names. It, it, it doesn't name the elders, which, which is really interesting because a lot of the other um, roles and things in the church, we have people whose names are in there. But we don't have, the, clo the closest thing we have is the um, Apostle John. He calls himself the elder, which if you really look at the Greek word, it doesn't mean elder like in the role. It means he's older, 
right? He's the older guy. And so um, he says that of himself twice. He says, you know, at the beginning of his books, and he says, from the elder to the church, you know, to these people. Um, so he's basically saying, hey, I'm the old guy, right? But that's, and that's not necessarily one of the requirements, right? It's not an age thing, but somebody who's rooted and mature in their faith. So, but I think it's interesting that there's no names mentioned. And as I was really thinking about that, I can, I can tell you, you know, that I, I think no one is in this role to make a name for themselves, Right? Even to the point, like, we don't even have their names here. And, and I can tell you that, that, that I believe that that is true for our elders who really serve in humility. Um, most, um, most people, when asked, I mean, they, they will say, oh, man, I, I'm, I'm not worthy of that role. Um, none of us, like, meet up with these things 100%, 100% of the time. There's always days when I think different elders are, are thinking, like, man, I, like, what am I, like, I don't deserve to be doing this. Um, they're very humble, um, people who are not in it to make a name for themselves. And I think that's so huge because even though you might be in a role of leading, humility is so, so important. In First Peter 5.1, Peter says to the elders, um, of, it says to the elders of all the churches in Asia that he is a fellow elder. So that's one spot where, where Peter might say, hey, I'm, but he's also an apostle, right? Um, now, the office of elder and apostle, um, those, though, are two different things. They, they aren't necessarily interchangeable. They're distinct. Several times in the book of Acts, we see um, they're calling out, they, they say, hey, the apostles and the elders came together. And so you have these two different roles. Um, but we know who the apostles were, right? And, and both had important but distinct roles in the church. So now let, let's really take a minute and, and turn our attention to the role of deacon. Um, who are the deacons? In, in 1 Timothy 3.8, it says, In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. Again, that was something respectable. That was part of the elders. Um, sincere not indulging in much wine, so that's very, again, similar to one of the elders' things, and not pursuing dishonest gain, very close to the, isn't a lover of money. The word deacon or diakonos in the Greek language, um, in its simplest translation, it just means servant, somebody who serves. And, and so now everyone who has accepted Christ is gifted for service, right? If you're a believer in Christ, you are gifted to serve in the church. We're all called to be servants. But here, this role of deacon is a particular role in the office in the church. Much of this list contains the same stuff as what's in the elder or overseer thing, right? In, in verse 9, as we move forward, it says, they, they must keep and hold to the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, right? In other words, they need to hold the sound doctrine, but the one thing they don't have as a requirement is able to teach, right? They need to know the sound doctrine, but it doesn't say that they are, are able to teach, but they can, they're serving in all kinds of other areas. In 1 Timothy 3.10, it says they must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons, right? And so we, we don't have a test, right? We don't give somebody a test, like how much doctrine do you know? But, but usually it's this whole idea that they're involved in ministry. We see them serving in different areas. And we say, okay, that's somebody who is serving. Now, um, in, um, in verse 11, 
it, it goes on and says this, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. The word here for women is the same word in the Greek language for wife. There's some translations and some people who I think wrongly just translate this as the wives of the deacons. I don't, I don't believe that's right. And most of the commentaries I read uh, would agree with that. But they're referring um, more probably to women who are in the role of deacon. And, and we know that that's true because in Romans 16.1, we have Phoebe. Um, she was one of the women in the church. Um, it's a, and this is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Canatre, right? It's, and so we know that that was a role that was held by Phoebe, one of the women. We have women in, in multiple areas of um, church service and leadership. We have women like Lydia and Nympha who open their homes for the church to meet in there. We have uh, daughters of Philip who had gifts of prophecy. There's um, Junia in Romans 16 who is commended um, as one of the um, ones who is um, great among the apostles, right? And, and then there's about, in Romans 16 alone, there's about eight other women who I quite honestly believe um, were in the role of deacon in the church. Uh, and, and it goes on, and I think that that's one of the things that we need to realize is that this is an area that, that we certainly want everybody to be able to. Now, everyone has gifts for service, but not everybody may be in a particular officer role, right? Now, he goes on in 1 Timothy three twelve and 13. He says, a deacon must be faithful to his wife. He must manage his children and his household well. Again, that was one of the things we saw in the overseer's role. Those who have served well will gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Like elders, I think character. It's all about character. Character is the most important thing. I, I think that as we look at this, you know, we, we look and we go, okay, the, you know, those people in these roles need it. We all need to aspire to these character traits. This is a good list for all of us to look at and go like, hey, how am I doing in these areas? right? And, and, and to really honestly pray, ask the Holy Spirit to tell you, like, is there an area in my life, Lord, that, that I'm lacking here? Is there an area? Or Lord, is there a blind spot in my life? Is there a place where, where really, you know, the, the devil can creep in and, and trip me up? I mean, this is a great list to just keep looking at and saying, hey, how, how am I measuring up? And then the big thing is this, is as believers and followers of Christ who are gifted are you using your gift in the church? Now, what did deacons do? In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and you could go home and read this whole um, passage. It's, it's really interesting. Um, because actually what's interesting in the church is the role of deacon. The role of deacon actually shows up before the role of elder in, in, the, in, the, in the way that the church um, leadership gets laid out, right? Um, it tells us in Acts chapter 6 that there, there, a, a situation came up where there were some of these um, uh, Jewish women who were not getting enough food, and, and so there was all these things happening, and the apostles got together and they said, hey, we, we, we're busy with you know, preaching the word and prayer, and we shouldn't be taken away from that, and so they, what I think is interesting is they go to the church, and they, it says in verse 2 of uh, Acts 6, um, it says, so the 12, okay, these are the apostles, they gathered all the disciples together 
and said, it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word, right? Their ability to teach and things like that, I think, um, or, or to wait on tables. And he says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over them. I think it's great because they, they, again, this might have been the first congregational meeting, I don't know, where, where they say, hey, pick, pick these people and have them serve. And they gave them this role of serving in the church. And these people, we actually have their names. And it says, hey, yeah, these, these guys were serving in the church, making sure that the food was distributed as it should have been. Um, so deacons are men and women who serve in the church using the gifts, their gifts to meet the needs of God's body, the family of God. And, and here at MPFCC, um, we, you know, years ago, we used to have a deacon board. Um, we had a deacon board, and then we had an elder board, and then when we got together, they were the big board, and we had way too many meetings and all kinds of stuff like that. Just got kind of crazy. And so one of the things that we did is we kind of switched that up a bit. We created the kind of the role of ministry coordinator here. And uh, ministry coordinators are people who um, help lead, who are partnered together with one of, one of our elders and one of our staff, and they work together to lead um, one of the ministries of the church. And um, each of these ministries, each of, we, have about, we have 18 specific ones right now. Um, each are led by amazing men and women who I deeply respect. Um, and currently, um, 10 of our 17 ministry coordinators are women who are using their gifts to lead in the ministries of the church. But folks, let me say something. We need everybody. We need everybody serving. We need everybody in their area of giftedness to be serving the Lord in his church uh, so that the body of Christ can be built up. We need you. And I, I realize, man, we live hectic, busy lives. It's like, when am I going to find time? You know, I, I think this is so vital that we grow so well when we're serving, especially when we're serving side by side with, with each other. Some of the best growing conversations happens as we're serving together um, in the church. And in God's economy, it, it's not about the person with the title or the role. I mean, I love, Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the servant. I mean, literally, you will be the servant. I mean, it absolutely flips on its head the way that the structure of the world. Leadership in the church, yes, is there someone who leads? Absolutely. But without that, you know, there can easily be chaos. And so leadership in the church was all about serving. And we need, we need to, I mean, all we need to do is, is look at our news feeds. Folks, the situation in our world is urgent. Would you agree? The situation in our world is urgent. Here's a question for you. Are we? Are, are we urgent to carry out the mission of the church, which is all about helping people find and follow Jesus? And, and, and I'm not so, you know, should we be out sharing the gospel? Absolutely. We should be talking about Jesus everywhere we go. We talked about that a little bit in week one, you know, where we said, hey, we talk way too much about the stuff that's not important and way too little about the stuff that is important, and we need to be talking about that. But when we serve together in the church, it opens up opportunities for us to reach people. We got the trunk or treat going on, and I know you might think, oh, that's just a big event. Yes, it is, but we have had people who, for the first time, stepped on our campus and because someone chose to serve in different ways, you know, because everyone's got a different way of serving, right? For some people, man, some people, 
their gift is, you know, with, with hospitality, making food. Some people, some people, it's, you know, keeping their eyes open and guarding people and, you know, they're part of the safety team. And some people, you know, it's, it's setting up chairs. And for some people, it's praying. And I, I wish more of you would just join us on Wednesdays and Fridays as we come and we pray over our whole church family. Man, that, that is not just a thing. It's a way to serve the church. And you know, the, the, the chapter ends here, um, again, wh- where he says, hey, Paul's saying, I, I, I hope I can come to you. He doesn't know. This guy keeps getting himself arrested. He, I mean, everywhere he goes, a riot breaks out. And he gets himself arrested, and he doesn't know if he's going to make it or not. But he says, hey, you just need to know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. Because it is the church. It is the, the church of the living God. It's the pillar and the foundation of the truth. It's the thing that hopefully can uphold our society in times of craziness and strife. And all of these things is that, that the church will stand holding up the truth and saying, this is what the truth not just sounds like, this is what the truth looks like as we live that out together. And he actually ends this chapter, I think it's kind of cool, with a song. Um, right after verse 16, kind of partway through um, verse 16, he says, Beyond all question, it is the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And he's, ta- I mean, I love that he's talking about godliness. All these things were character traits, right? He's saying, This is what true godliness springs out of, right? And then he goes on and he said, and it's kind of a funky funky thing the way it's, we read it. It says, he, and he's talking about Jesus. He says, he appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by the angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. We don't see it here in the English. It's a little bit clunky in, in our English language. In the Greek language, this is very poetic. In fact, in most of your Bibles, you're going to see it kind of looks like, written kind of like a little poetry thing. But it, I, I as I was reading that, and I just kept reading this over and over, and because I was like, wow, some of the things seem a little out of order. I wonder where he's at. I mean, this whole thing seemed by angels. Like, what's he talking about and all this stuff? But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think, I just looked at it, and I, I, it just kept coming back to me. This is all about Jesus. He, he finishes off a chapter on church leadership. What's he finish it with? He finishes it with pointing all of us to the real leader. He points every single one of us back to Jesus. Because to be quite honest, folks, the governments of the world ain't going to have the answer. I don't have all the answers. At the end of the day, Jesus. Jesus is the hope for our world. And we need to do everything we can to not let anything get in the way of how we present Jesus to the world. That the way that we serve together, work together, love each other, it's all about raising up the name of Jesus. I think that's why he says this is... I'm telling you this because I want you to know how we behave. 
Because the world needs to see a demonstration of people who love one another. You know, we don't always agree on everything, but we love one another because the Christ that is in us is greater than anything outside of us. And he calls us together and he says, man, you are, you are going to show the hope of the world by taking Jesus to people. So the questions I have is, how, how are we behaving? How are we serving? How are we bringing hope to the world? Because folks, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Every bit of it comes down to, it is all about Jesus. And you know what he was? The one who we follow? The one whose way we are taking up and following? What does it say about him? Well, Philippians 2, 5 to 8 says this. Instead of Jesus, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature was God, right? Talk about leadership. Talk about like the guy, you know, on top, right? Did not consider equality with God something to be to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness being found in an appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross the Bible sets that out as the ultimate picture of leadership. Someone who humbles himself, becoming obedient, even to the point of death. Death on a cross for you and for me. That is how much he loved us. And that's why every week, you know, people ask why we do this every week. Can you think of anything more important to think about than what Christ has done for us? Because here's the reality. We don't get it right all the time. We sin, we mess up. We constantly need his forgiveness. We constantly need his grace. We constantly need to be reminded that folks, what we do right here this is not about me. This is not about you. This is about the one who humbled himself enough to die for us. This is about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is all about Jesus, church. It is all about what he did to save us. Do you believe that? That's why we celebrate this together. So let's take the bread that represents Jesus' broken body together. And together, let's, let's take the cup that represents his shed blood. And let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that while we have lists and we have things and we have roles and all these different things, that ultimately, at the end of the day, Lord God, we, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. And Father, he shows us what it truly means. Not, not, not just what it says on paper, but he shows us what it looks like to be somebody, somebody who is an absolute servant leader.
And Father, would you help us to learn to live that way so that we can bring other people to the one who brings hope. We love you and praise you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to npfcc.org give to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at npfcc.org. Again, that's npfcc.org.